How's it going? Welcome to the 105 Way Podcast. I'm your host, JL. And your co-host, Patricia. And on this episode, we have the lovely Sasha and Professor Ping in action. First time I am seeing or Patricia is seeing Professor Ping not inside of a book. So this is (laughs) fantastic. How are you two doing today? Thank you for being on the show. We're doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's we, good to not just be a cartoon, right? Be a real face. Right, exactly. And you look just like the cartoon. So, or the cartoon looks like you. I don't know what's the what's the more appropriate way of saying that. <laughs> um, but we had such a good time putting your book together. Um, and we're looking forward to selling the book at the uh, Children's Book Festival in Dallas. Um, because with us being in Texas and with Sasha deciding to go with that particular area of Mexico, that particular country first of Mexico, um, that is just lovely for this area. A lot of Spanish speakers. Um, and so I'm looking forward to showcasing it at the festival. So we're going to go ahead and get started with the very first question. This goes for each of you and you can take time um, answering this one. Yes. So we'll start with Sasha. So Sasha, tell us about yourself and what you do for a living and how the idea of writing came to mind. Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for, for having me and, and paying for, for joining me. I really appreciate it. I, I often say that my life is boring, but I think mostly it's boring because uh, when I'm wearing my, my lawyer hat, so much of what I do is covered by some type of privilege, whether it's mediation privilege, attorney-client privilege. So t- sometimes I, I get into that group where people say, what did you do all day? I say, I helped some people do some things and they were mad, but now they're less mad. So that's kind of what I do in, in my, my day-to-day life. You'll see my, you know, my, my government office is in the background because that way I don't have kids or pets yeah. or, you know, Amazon trucks dropping things off or any <laughs> other distractions like that uh, because it's four o'clock. So I'm the only person left. But uh, a big part of, of why I wanted to write, I've been sort of writing on and off my whole life. And I went through a period where just because of practice as a lawyer and, you know, being a parent and other things, I wasn't really writing as much. And so when COVID-19 started that initial lockdown, I really sort of felt this drive to get back to something that always given me a lot of, a lot of joy because particularly that first lockdown was, I think uh, it was scary for a lot of people, certainly scary for me. And I, I really, I think like a lot of people, I was just trying to find what, what are things that you can do by yourself, you know, and that, uh, that, you know, don't require you going out anywhere and that if you need to, that you can collaborate with people virtually. So that was something that I started to pick back up. And I'd had a couple, um, a couple projects that I had been um, working on, uh, longer term projects and novel series that I've been working on. Um, but they were all very serious. And it was a time when I thought, I really need to do something that is going to really amplify joy, not my, just my own joy, but other people's joy. And so I, I had been thinking about various children's books that I wanted to write. And one of the things as I was getting into it is, you know what, like if you really, if kids really like a character that they meet in a book, they're going to want to read that character again and again. There's so many instances of that from my childhood, whether it be Dr. Seuss or the Berenstain Bears, things like that, where, you know, once you fall in love with that character, you just want to see what what they're doing again and again. 
Um, but my my almost background was journalism. And so a lot of what I write, I tend to sort of rely on that journalistic you know, uh, benchmark of find something that's really interesting and thought provoking in everyday life and then build, you know, build some fiction around it and sort of fictionalize it as you go. Um, it almost, uh, almost like, uh, you know, taking, taking your leftovers and making a whole new meal out of it. So I kind of, uh, you know, I've been thinking about that. And then one day I'm on social media, like a lot of people are and paying, I don't remember what you posted or why it was at the top of my feed, but you had some kind of a, some kind of a travel thing that you were reminiscing about. And I thought, if I know anybody who could be a tremendous character for a children's book series, it would be Ping. And so I, I had that idea and I sort of, I played around with it a little bit and then I sketched out a few ideas and then I put it aside for a little while and then life almost came back to normal and then it went back to abnormal a couple times. And I finally just said, you know what, uh, you know, this is, this is an idea that's kind of neat and I'm going to reach out and see you know, if, if Ping was willing to, you know, to, to let me write about him. And thankfully he was, and, you know, now we're one book, one book completed and, and out there later. Uh, and I'm putting the, the final touches on the fifth manuscript today. So, uh, you know, so it's, it's been a really exciting ride. And uh, I guess one last thing about writing, I've always really liked when I, when I'm writing to try and imagine myself in someone else's environment and looking through their their lens a little bit differently. Um, and so I, part of the reason why I thought that a travel book series would be really great for kids is because kids don't get to go anywhere unless they're with their parents. And a lot of kids, because of their circumstances, never get to go anywhere until they're adults. And one of the books that I really read over and over again as a kid was this Atlas. And it was it had all these, and you know, it's highly dated. I think by by modern terms, but it talked about all the the quote unquote great explorers in in a very sterilized way, um, and all of their their discoveries and things like that. Um, and it really got me thinking about you know places I've never been to, things I've never experienced, foods I've never tasted, and I really wanted to find a way to you know to bring that in a very accessible way to kids. Um, you know, the kids who are, you know, really advanced in their reading skills, um, so they could pick up something that's, that's got pictures, but more complicated words, but also something for the kids who maybe are a little bit older. And although they maybe would normally be expected to read at that higher level, that they really kind of need to be grounded with some visuals to keep them engaged. That's, that's kind of, that's, that's how I got to where we're at today. Okay, and then Ping, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, um, uh, your background. Sasha touched on it a little bit, but um, you know, when she came to you with the idea of making a whole series of the amazing places you've been, uh, you know, what came to mind uh, when when that idea was brought up? So I'll go ahead, start from the beginning, where you're from, all of that, and then touch on that as well. Sure. Uh, my name is Ping. I am a current professor in the Department of Geography and Geology at Eastern Michigan University. I have been doing this. This is my 11th year now. Uh, don't let this pretty face fool you. I'm actually quite old, <laughs> as I tell my kids all the time. And like, I was just giving a lecture the other day, and I just I was talking about Detroit's revival. And I just realized that this current generation has never actually, they don't 
remember, they were too young to remember a Detroit before it was renovated and revitalized. They don't remember the old Detroit. And I am old. That's the point. Um, in regards to the book, it really worked out well for me uh, because for a while I, I have contem contemplated about writing my own book for several reasons. Uh, perfectly honest here, being a, a college professor, I have incredible power. And <laughs> one of those things is I could make them buy whatever I want. And so I figured, you know what, if I buy a, if I write a book, you know, I teach an average of about 200 kids a semester. And if I make them all buy it for the rest of my life, I can yes. collect royalties, right? So, but at the same time, you know, I don't make them buy textbooks or anything like that. But at the same time, I'm also not a jerk. And I'm like, you know what? I, I probably wouldn't make them buy it. I would probably make it voluntary. And as of today, that's how I have it set up with Sasha's book uh, is that I give them an extra credit, you know, if they choose to buy it. I also That's actually amazing. wanted to write my own book for a while for no other reason than simply so that I could get a dedication page. Uh, so without going into really deep history, uh, when so I'm a first-generation immigrant. My parents came here. I was nine years old. Didn't speak a lick of English. Parents worked 60 hours a week, never home. And I met this wonderful uh, American boy named Matt and his family would pick me up, we became good friends, and his mom and dad would pick me up after work every day. They would feed me, they would even clothe me, they would buy me toys, they treated me like their own kid. And I love them like they're my family. And I just want them to know how much I appreciate them. And what made it even more special that the timing Sasha approached me was perfect, was that at the time, what I called her my American mom, Sue, she was uh, actually diagnosed with stage four leukemia. And the doctors gave her, I believe, less than 20% chance of survival. So while this book was being published, she was fighting this cancer. And I'm sending her like, I just need this book to be published in time. I want her to see this dedication I have for them before if she don't make it. Uh, so the good news is she beat it. She's in remission. She is doing great. And they have a vacation home down in Pensacola, which I'm going to fly down in February and spend some time with them down there. And uh, yeah, like that for me for a while, honestly, the dedication page was motivation to write a book. Now, with the financial uh, benefits as well as that personal benefit, I'm still also very lazy. Um, I did academic writing all throughout undergrad, all throughout grad school. I don't want to write. And I'm not a creative person. If I want to write something, it would have been very academic. So a lot of research, a lot of statistics, you know, maybe kind of dry. And so it was always an idea that I've had, but it was just kind of sitting on the shelf. So when Sasha came and says, hey, I want to write a children's book, not only would I realize, like, huh, I can charge the kids on the back of her work, <laughs> two, I could get the dedication page now that I've always wanted. And actually, it was perfect because at EMU, I have a class that I teach every semester. I'm the only teacher on the whole campus that teaches it. It's called Social Studies for Elementary School Teachers. So it's a class that is required of elementary school teachers. And that book is just perfect for that class. And uh, yeah, so I was, I was all about it. And, you know, and lastly, my job was easy. Like, Sasha did all the work. I mean, she pretty much was like, yeah, tell me about yourself. I'm like, oh, that's easy. I can do that. So, yeah, here we are. You know, out of all the um, the professions, I always love hearing the stories of when doctors are wrong, um, because I think I've heard so many stories where the doctor says, yeah, 
you're going to pass away. Like, you know, I've, I've been to this school, that school, and from my studies, I know you're not going to make it. And the willpower is so much stronger than the education. Um, yeah. that is, that is a phenomenal story. I love that. Thank you. As a brief knock on my own profession as a lawyer, I understand why doctors tend to say things that are, you know, extremely deflated because they have to inflate your expectations so that they don't have, a, you know, a bunch of people who went to law school with me roll up when, you know, if things don't work out the way people expect. So mm. I, it's actually pretty common, you know, and I think good doctors, kind of live a little bit in fear of, of litigation, tend to kind of put that expectation a little bit lower, um, hoping that that means, okay, well, I'm going to be wrong. I'd rather be wrong than be right. Well, we learn something new every day. That makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you said um, you're not originally from here, Professor Ping. So where, where are you originally from? Uh, I was born in southern China, outside of Guangzhou, which is not one of the biggest cities in the world. It's uh, it's just like, I want to say, where I lived at the time was like four or five hours outside of Hong Kong, southern China. Okay. Do you get to visit at all? Not too often. I went back twice since we came here. One time with my family, I believe, in early high school. And then I went back independently with some friends uh, in early college. And is that going to be one of the books in the series? I mean, maybe quite possibly. And honestly, you know, at the rate we're going, it's just I, I my plan. Right, this is my plan, which is so I hate flying. I'm not scared to fly. I just hate it. It's a miserable experience for me. I'm never comfortable. I can't sleep. So if I'm going to go somewhere far, I'm going to spend a lot of time. And my current plan is I am two years away from my midlife crisis. And my mid-love crisis is to fly out to Tokyo and then hit up a bunch of places like Hong Kong, Taiwan, Thailand, Vietnam, and do like a three-week thing and then come home. Um, So that might be in the books perhaps instead. Okay. Looking forward to that one. Looking forward to them all. But re- really, that that sounds. Tokyo is one of those places that um that I've always wanted to go to uh, as a kid for terrible reasons, right? Because I watched a lot of anime uh, well, as a kid. <laughs> as a kid, but no, I, I do still want to go. So so yeah. Well, what we got for the next question? All right, the next question. This is geared towards Sasha mainly. Um, but Ping, you can also chime in if you have anything. What were some of the struggles you had when coming up with the concept of the book? I'm I'm probably like a, a lot of up and coming authors or wannabe authors because the ideas flow. It's forcing myself to sit down and not just think of 156 wonderful ideas that never actually make it anywhere. I mean, if I if I had a dollar for every you know, novel idea, poem, short story, children's book, whatever that I've thought of over the years, or as I would call them, found musicals, where I would just kind of, you know, sing along back when we used to have CDs uh, with my, you know, my favorite music and make a musical around some other artist's album. I, I, I wouldn't need money at all. I, I could quit my my glorious government job and just sit around and and do nothing but but write those those books and stories that haven't made it to to print yet. So one of the things that I had always really struggled with was just 
making the time, you know, it's, I, I'm always kind of running around like a little squirrel. I'm always busy with something and just forcing myself to say, this is, you know, this is a priority. It's something I always wanted to do. And I think one of the, one of the, you know, one of the hidden beauties of COVID-19 for a lot of people, for the privileged people like myself was I had time. I suddenly had time and nothing else to do with it. It's like, okay, well, maybe I should, you know, I can watch another series on some streaming service. And I did that a few times. Um, I can do extra things with my kids. And I did that plenty of times. But I also, I'm going to actually sit my, down and make myself write something. And I think one of the things that I really took away from, from the process, you know, in terms of, of working on overcoming struggles with, with writing was having something, someone specifically to write about made it a little bit more of an accountability for me. I had, uh, I had another series that I had um, kind of sketched out before the Professor Ping series came to me, but there was no accountability. It was all kind of pie in the sky, like it sounded good, but you know, there, there wasn't really anything forcing me to just sit down and do it. And so I think having that motivation of like, I can't let Ping down, you know, I told him I was going to do this and now I have to actually do it. Um, and especially I was so touched, you know, cause you kind of, you didn't give me the whole story about the dedication Ping, but you kind of gave me a little, when, when we got to, you know, when I had a working manuscript and I said, well, you know, would you want a dedication here? And when you told me what it was, I thought, oh my God, I can't not publish this book now like because I, I can't you know this this has to happen and so I think I guess in terms of advice for you know for other people who are in that situation who you know whether it be books or art or anything that they want to create is you know really find you know just like going to the gym find an accountability person you know and they don't have to be that person that's going to be you know with you sweating it out but just somebody that you go it's too important for me to let this person down. And I'll add to what Sasha was saying too, is that like, even though she did the writing, you know, it wasn't me. Like on my end, one of the things I had to work with was to figure out, like, obviously it's, it's my travels and my stories and it's the things that I remember, but how do you convey that to another person? Like, how can you show them what you saw um, and really kind of take them on this kind of journey with you? And, uh, you know, in the beginning, I was just kind of talking, talking, talking nonstop and just kind of telling a story. But then like later on, I kind of realized it was easier for me to kind of write it down for her and kind of create it, kind of like wrote an outline for her in a way of just the story itself. And then I uh, luckily, because I am even though I'm old, I'm still part of the social media generation. And so I had plenty of pictures. I took lots of pictures, which then I included with a lot of kind of the stories as we kind of go along and I send them her way. Um, and that way, I think, you know, if Sasha was struggling with how to craft these ideas or if you guys were drawing them, you know, I think that was one thing that I tried to mediate a little bit for them. Uh, but I will say, though, that, again, once more, I am very glad that Sasha's the one that wrote this book and not me because, like, for me, when COVID hit, writing was would be the last thing I would want to do. And, and, and the reason is because from my profession, I instantly taught online, right? All my classes went online. So I planted at the seat for like eight hours a day. And the last thing I would want to do is sit here and write <laughs> upon the conclusion of teaching. So I'm glad she got some free time 
um, to be able to do this because I certainly would not have been able to do it. Yeah, it was. Um, I know in the in the very very beginning, I know we want to make sure that we got you right, that we got your face right. I know Sasha, we had a, a couple different uh, uh, revisions to make sure we got the real ping right. So I, I do remember a couple times where we we spoke to you through Sasha, um, and I, I know that that was imperative. And so I can I can say that I think we did a really good job uh, of of getting you right. But no, it's um it is amazing how Sasha you bring it up COVID, how how COVID really brought to life um a lot of opportunities for people that they probably didn't know that they had. Because even us, for example, we just do 105 publishing full time now. We're both parole officers in Toledo, Ohio. Um, so the fact that we no longer do that and we're just bringing people's books to life as our full time um, uh, passion. Right. Uh, something we didn't even know was was um, going to be, uh, you know, put into our life as a thing we would be doing. Um, COVID really blessed a lot of people. It, it, it really did. And I want to pick up on that if I can, because. You know, and I can't remember exactly where we were in the process of, of you know, of doing the illustrations and kind of bringing, you know, the first book, Professor Ping Hangs with the Dead, into life. But I had that that realization that, oh, my God, I, I was actually able to accomplish a lifelong dream during COVID. And I, I only was able to do that because I had, you know, I had steady income. My income didn't change because of COVID nineteen. My my how my work happened evolved a lot, and then sort of re-evolved again and again. But the the ultimate nature and the number of hours I was expected to put in didn't change. And you know those are things that a, a lot of people weren't that lucky. And you know one of the things when I, I mentioned earlier that I was working on. Uh, another Professor Ping manuscript earlier today um, at, over my lunch break. I it, it's actually it, it's actually um, a book about uh, about some of those things with COVID nineteen about things how it affected different people through the lens and you haven't seen the the draft yet Ping so stay tuned but through the lens of uh, of what's happening to all these different students and you know some of the problems were there before but they just got magnified by the crisis. And some of the problems were brand new that people had never experienced before. And, you know, in, in the setting of, of how does that affect people who, you know, should have been, you know, going to college in the traditional way. Um, and suddenly they are, you know, college is online and it's just another alert on their phone. And like anything else, you can snooze that alert and continue on with whatever's the more pressing thing whether that means caring for yourself, caring for someone else, just trying to make a living. And, you know, so I think that that, that was one of those things where, um, and you probably saw with, you know, and I see in, in the law and you saw as, as you know, uh, as probation officers, that there are a lot of people who are struggling even before that. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people who are, are still struggling and will still be struggling after this. Um, you know, and I really hope that those are, you know, that their kids uh, will, it will bring these Professor Ping books home and have a different way with their adults to, you know, to think about the world and to explore mentally, even when they can't go anywhere. So what, what we got next? 
Our next question, you kind of answered this a little bit, Sasha, about um, giving some advice to uh, future authors that don't know where to begin, but they want to, you know, create a book. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I, I would give the, the caveat that I'm still very much a noob. And if you ask me, you know, if you ask me uh, uh, 20 years from now, my advice could be completely different. I think at its core level, just go, just write the thing. And, um, and then once it's written, then think about all the steps you need to take to make it a thing that people can read. Because if you start, you can get so overwhelmed with, oh, okay, do I, when do I copyright this? Do I need a, how many beta readers should I have? Do I, should I get a developmental editor? What's the difference between line editing and developmental editing? And does it really matter for a children's book? And yeah, 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 yeah. And you can kind of get in your head so much that you, you end up scaring yourself out of creating art. And, um, and I guess, you know, for me, and I don't know if this is going to work, but I've told Ping, I'm like, my, my, like my, my goal is to keep on, you know, doing my daily job, you know, as, you know, a little government lawyer. And this is kind of my side hustle. And that eventually 20 years from now, I can be like the Jessica Fletcher of children's books and travel all around the world and talk to people. And by then I'll have, you know, hopefully at least 20 Professor Ping books chilling out there. and that. Uh, you know, and that I, I can just kind of travel around the world and, and, you know, and, and just write, and that can be my, my retirement thing. Um, so I guess, I guess that's the other advice is just don't feel like if I can't do it as a full-time job, it's not worth doing. Or if I, if I don't think it's good, it's not worth doing. You know, I mean, there's that cliche about the, you know, if only the best sounding birds sang in the forest, that it would be really quiet. And, I think that's true. It's, you know, and, and you don't know what, you don't know what space your work is going to find its way into and who it'll impact. So just make it. And Ping, did you want to touch on that as well? Uh, I mean, really the only thing is I will say that if anybody is hesitant to write a book because they're worried that they don't have enough time or it's really time consuming, I would just point out that it really is a matter of being driven. Uh, Sasha here is, you know, a full-time lawyer. She has two kids. She's also like, like, let me just, Sasha is just so much less lazy than I am to where like, okay, like my job is actually easy. Like I am busy mostly in the first three days of the week, but I'm te- this semester I'm done teaching on Wednesday at two o'clock. I have four and a half days off every week. All right. So my idea of being busy is like tickling the cats. <laughs> like, you know, going rock climbing or like, you know, going to Detroit, hanging out, drinking coffee, whatever. Um, so the fact is that she's and where I was at is with all that combined, she also runs all the time. Like she's like very fit. And if I'm just sitting here eating chips, but the, the point is, is, you know, as long as you have that motivation, that drive, you can find it. You know, it's certainly doable. Um, it's not a matter of time, really, because I have all the time in the world. I couldn't write this book. <laughs> so it is all her. It is all her. But I think last thing is, I think what she said was really good, was that if you can somehow get some kind of accountability, you know, get somebody to be like on you or that somebody that you don't want to let down or, you know, that'll get you to finish the book. Yeah, that's um, it's interesting because we talk to a lot of authors who 
they and this is generally people who have already published their book and maybe you two can touch on this um there are people who literally get worked up when they get their very first person who hates their book or their first person who they may not hate their book, but they say something in the lines of, uh, I, it was something as simple as you could have done this better. And like, they just get completely down about it and they don't even want to deal with it anymore. So what's both of your advice on anybody who's like that, where they are seeking for perfection and if they don't get it, they just want to give up. Well, I guess I'll start. Um, I think it kind of goes back to if your accountability person is someone really positive, you're not going to do as badly when you get your first less than stellar review. You know, and and I think it, and this kind of dovetails a little bit into the professor, like they're the ethos, of the Professor Ping series anyway, because it's all about joy and um, and and curiosity and mindfulness and, you know, that you, you know, you really need, I mean, some people can kind of do that, they, you know, like the drill sergeant, they need somebody like yelling at them the whole time. And that's fine in some contexts, but I don't think if you're creating any like art or, or creative writing that that's really going to work. You know, I think you just, you just want some, something that inspires you. And, you know, and then I think that if you've got that creative, you know, once you've got that you know creative mindset going and, you know, you feel that support then, you know, like you're not going to feel as bad about it. It's not, and you know, I say this and I've, I've been blessed so far, knock on wood, uh, the trolls haven't come for me yet. Um, you know, I'm in a lot, and that I guess maybe would be the other thing too, is, you know, join a lot of, a lot of the author groups, you know, whether they be locally or on Facebook or any other social media outlet, because I saw in the months leading up to me, even reaching out uh, to ping about the idea, people posting about, oh, the trolls came for me. I just got a one-star review and it doesn't even look like they read my actual book. It sounds like they read somebody else's book. And there are people out there who that's, that's what they do. Um, they get, they leave negative feedback for books for whatever reason, I don't know. And, and it may not, you know, it may not be grounded in anything factual. Um, so I guess, you know, in terms of, you know, really, you know, dealing with that negative feedback, be prepared that it'll happen. Um, you know, a, a part, someone I respect a lot uh, said, uh, you know, that you um, you take it seriously, but not personally. So it's, you know, no matter what the the comment is and, you know, you, you take it for what it's worth. And I can say, I feel good about, you know, about the first book. And there are still things that I've thought about since then. I think, you know, I think I want to do this a little bit differently next time. I mean, because it was bad or wrong. But just because, you know, the evolution, that's part of the creative process is, is evolution. And you have to give yourself enough space to do that and enough space to, you know, to get feedback from other people. To add to what Sasha just said, too, it's, uh, you know, we also got to remember, especially first time authors, is that is your first go. You're going to make mistakes. It's OK. It's not going to be perfect. You're not going to produce the Mona Lisa on your first go, you know. And, um, you know, I know it's. Easier said than done, but constructive criticism is important. You know, a lot of negative comments can be valid if they have a true point. But uh, we also got to keep them. Like, so for me personally, like, obviously, it's more Sasha's book, but it's my stories and my face and all that. And like, it's easier for me to handle potential future bad reviews because I teach. 
and these kids evaluate me and we read these evaluations. And one thing you learn as a teacher is that you really should, like there are pieces in which you do want to be constructive. You want to accept that constructive criticism. But then there are also things where like you realize people are so different and you really truly can't satisfy everybody. Like I will, without exaggeration, I would have a student review that will be like, I love when he gives his like personal stories of travels when he like teaches about certain countries. I love it. So somebody's like, this guy talks so much about himself. He needs to just stick to his content. Don't, I don't want to hear his stories, you know, blah, blah. So it's like literally the exact same scenario, but two totally different views of it. Or one more example would be in one of my, only in one of my classes, I have all exams, no, no assignments at all, three exams. A lot of kids love it. They're like, I love it. I don't have to do homework. You know, I'm good with exams. I just study and listen. I, I, this is one of the reasons I love this class. Another one is like, well, how I can't do well because I'm not good with exams and I hate that it's all exams. And so, you know, you learn that there's, there's some things you can't do. And, but again, there are certain scenarios in which we want to try our best to accept criticism. One example would be, I used to say to people, and this was when I was young and full of testosterone, was that I wanted, one of the reasons I want to teach college is so that I could be myself and that I could talk like myself and I can swear if I need to and I can tell inappropriate jokes if I need to because there's no parents, you know, breathing down my neck. But then over time, you know, that doesn't happen often, but, you know, every semester you might get one or two where they're like, you know, I could do without the language. And so now I don't lecture with swear words. I mean, there's some scenarios in which I get really mad, like when I teach about the cruise ship industry, like how much I hate the cruise ship industry. I might lose it, you know, I might drop like, you know, I might say one word I shouldn't say, but for the most part, I really just like learn to control myself because it really was something that I did not need in my lecture, you know, to have. I think that was the Patriot Act that I learned, a TV show on Netflix that I learned. With Hassan Minhaj. I, I, I <laughs> watching that episode made me think completely differently about cruises. So I, I can, yeah, I feel you there. Um, and Sasha, as far as the trolls, there's a there's a video on our author advice video titled Trolls. And if you listen to the video, it's only about five to six minutes, but you can tell that I just dealt with the troll. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, a lot of business people will tell me never do anything when you're angry. But that video, I have had so many people say <laughs> your trolls video made me feel so much better <laughs> because there are people out there where it's like, why are you so mean? And that's their goal. Their goal is to make sure that they um, somehow attempt to ruin your day, right? Or ruin your product. And that gives them completion. Whereas our goal is the complete opposite. So, um, you know, I, I do love meeting happy people like yourselves uh, because then it just makes us want to continue doing what we've been doing. And so in regards to what we've been doing, it actually brings us to the last question. Um, this is for both of you. I know we talked to Sasha primarily, but for both of you, as far as working with the 105 family, because we're not the only option by far. Um, and so, you know, we are still a newer company. Um, January 1st makes two years in existence. So there's publishing companies who have been out there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and so there's been there's companies out there who have been, you know, longer, who have been around longer than us. So tell everyone about your experience with the 105 family and, um, you know, why you, Sasha in particular, because you put a post and that post was geared towards anybody who reached out to you. And out of all those people, 
you and I are now family. So I'm just curious as to what it was that we are, you know, why are we here today? Well, and, and you know, uh, I mean, you know the story, Jason. I had been working with a different illustrator, um, and I really I loved the work. Um, and actually, you know, people who who are familiar with the Professor Ping explores the world Instagram page in particular will see that there's there's like a little logo, Professor Ping. That's kind of like the original, the OG Professor Ping. And that was done by you know a different outfit, and I and I love it so much. I love the work. But it took a long time, like it was such a long process and they were, you know, and it was sort of piecemeal, like they could do the illustrations, but they weren't really sure if they were going to be able to do, you know, the entirety of, you know, of the publishing experience for me. And, you know, here's where I, you know, kind of, you know, echo Professor Ping and that, I, you know, I don't know that I have the time or the patience to sit down and try and, you know, do margins or things like that. You know, I mean. Like, I, I mean, that's like woo, way back in, you know, like college, you know, newspaper editing. And there's a reason why I didn't stick with that. You know, there's there's a reason why I ended up in the role that I'm in, where basically I talk to people for a living about things that nobody gets to talk about. Unfun Vegas, as I call it. Um, and and so I think that was part of yeah, that was part of what, you know, when when we you know, when we started initially talking that you were like, you know, we can you know, we're going to, we're going to be prompt and you were like, you, you were prompt all the time. Um, and you really let me know if things were going to, you know, if things weren't going to be on schedule, because I didn't, other than, uh, you know, other than, you know, that, that, you know, that need to, okay, well, there's this dedication here that I really, really want to honor, you know, because Ping had been helping me so much with this, you know, with this important goal, I really want to make sure, you know, that, you know, that important dedication got out there in a timely manner. I didn't really have a set goal necessarily. Um, but I did, uh, but I didn't want to keep pushing things back because I thought that eventually I was going to run out of steam and, and, and lose my focus. Um, so I think that was, you know, that was really helpful. And just the fact that I, you know, I sort of have that like homeland board in my head and I could visualize, okay, well, you know, Ping's doing this and then this is happening and there are thought bubbles and it's crazy. And, you know, you were able to really, you know, kind of help be that translator between what I was hoping the visuals would look like and, you know, and what the capabilities really were. Because I can't draw a stick figure and and there's a, an Instagram post way back that can prove it too. If anyone looks at the Professor Ping Explores the World Instagram page, there's proof that I can't draw anything. And so I really, I really don't even have the the skills to articulate or understand. It, am I saying something that's even capable of being done? And so you were really in, vital in that part of the process. Um, and you gave me lots of creative ideas too. So there was that evolution, that creativity back and forth. Um, you know, and and you were always fine with me saying, "Well, I like this, but I want to check with Ping because it's his face." Um, and we did revise. Ping's face many, many, many times to get it to get it 100% because we went from, you know, baby Ping, as we sometimes call it, from the postcards, which was adorable and may show up in board books in the future, um, to, you know, the more realistic, more geared towards older kids uh, version of, of Ping, of Professor Ping. So, you know, I think that's that was, uh, you know, just that communication was really, really rewarding part of the process for me. 
I just want to add, you know, obviously I didn't work with you guys directly. It was mostly through Sasha, but, you know, I appreciate you guys were flexible and, you know, willing to make multiple changes until we kind of get it right. You know, my, my initial perception was that, you know, I really like the original design. And then Sasha told me that she told you guys to quote unquote age me. And I'm like, <laughs> not only like, okay, I might be old, but Asians also age very well. We age very gracefully. So I was like, I don't want to look like that. And also my perception was, I would like to come back to this book someday when I'm 60 years old and be like, you know, that was cute once. <laughs> you know, like, I would like to be reminded of my better years, you know? So um, you guys were great. And the cartoons are just so adorable. And I will say that everybody, all my friends, their absolute favorite thing about that book was how you open that book. One of the first things you see is that you guys even the attention to detail you guys even included my cats and you had them in the right color because they are my children and you know and again this was also working with me and Sasha also you guys but you also you know honored my need for the proper map you know because that's important um one of the things that being a children's book actually I will say real quick I want to add some you know one of the things I teach about is how in America, the most popular map that is published in K-12 schools textbooks is what's called a Mercator map. And the Mercator map is actually very flawed in that it makes the northern countries look huge. Russia, Canada, Antarctica looks huge. And the reason, by the way, if you're just because I'm in teacher mode right now, and the reason is because during the Cold War era, the United States government made it so that that's the official map that is published as a way of making our enemy, quote-unquote, Russia or Soviet Union look bigger than it actually is so that it fear-mongered us into supporting Cold War policies. But the problem is now we have these kids coming to college, going into adulthood, thinking Antarctica is the size of the world, when in fact, Antarctica is only bigger than Australia. It is one of the smaller continents on Earth. And so for me, I needed the Robinson map, because that is the map you see in National Geographic, the map you see in college campuses, and it's the map that is not perfect, but it's a lot better than what they're used to seeing. So for me personally, being a children's book, I needed to correct that map error that is in every children's book. So, and I appreciate you guys, you know, willing to make the change for us when I brought that up. Oh yeah, most most definitely. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And we appreciate you guys for giving us the chance. And I remember just going back to the uploading process, I talked with Sasha and we were going through the Professor Ping ebook and originally, we didn't offer um, the spread illustration for the ebook. And I remember talking to Sasha, and we had learned, I was learning on the phone with her how to create that. So, like Jason said, we, you know, we're new, we're still learning, we're adding new things every day to our services. And it's, it's just amazing that you guys gave us the opportunity to bring this to life. Thank you again, though, for you guys. Yeah, I was joking with one of our authors earlier. I said, now, if we get a, a Tyler Perry or an Oprah as our author, then you guys are going to have to pay about 10000 an hour to talk to us. But <laughs> until then, <laughs> I'm just Remember joking. Remember us when. Huh? Remember us we, when. We should be grandfathered in, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oprah, it's like COVID, right? Before Oprah, post-Oprah <laughs> contracts, you know. Yeah. I, uh, I I said some some work for me to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I, actually, 
going back to when we're giving advice to authors, I feel the obligation to say, please don't do your own legal work. And please, for the love of God, do not download forms from the internet because on the whole, they are garbage. It's worth it to pay $400 to a real IP lawyer to do your contracts, especially they can make it so you can replenish them and use them again and again. And I did not do my own legal work on, on any of this. And I would absolutely recommend, you know, even if you are an IP lawyer, have somebody else double check your stuff. If it really matters to you, because you don't want to be that person that someday, if you do become the next Oprah or the next Tyler Perry, and you've got all this, you know, uh, this cachet of intellectual property and to have that be compromised because your contracts, you know, have California language, but you live in Michigan or Ohio, where that's just not how everybody operates in those courts. So, you know, we don't, we don't do our own surgery either, folks. Make sure that you actually hire real professionals. I didn't, I didn't do the map because I would trust Professor Ping to tell me what the map should look like rather than decide that myself. Checks and balances, right? Checks and balances. Everyone does does their own thing and and uh, make sure that it all flows well together. Mm-hmm. So, well, listen, it was wonderful having both of you on the show. Please remind everyone of the title and remind them of what the next book is going to be that's coming out. I know the answer, but I'm going to let y'all tell it. Okay. Well, uh, the name of the book is Professor Ping Hangs with the Dead. It's available on Amazon. Uh, it may uh, be available on uh, future platforms, but for, for now and probably till the end of time, it's it's available on Amazon. Um, you can uh, check us out on Instagram at uh, Professor Ping Explores the World. And the next book, we are traveling to Iceland in Professor Ping and the Land of Fire and Ice. Love it. Well, again, yes. Yeah, and so are we. So thank you again for being on the show. This has been the 105 Way Podcast, and you can check us out every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Talk to you soon.